Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. It's good to see some familiar faces and some new faces. Welcome. A review from last week, because I know chapter 7 in the book of Romans is a, a difficult chapter to preach. It's a difficult chapter to teach. But all in all, it's a very important because it leads up to the greatest chapter in Romans, in my opinion, but we'll get to that in a little while. But I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, and quick review again. In the first six chapters, Paul made the rock-solid case that all of us are guilty of sin and we all deserve the righteous wrath of God. We've gone over that in several weeks. But thank God, Paul also explain the forgiveness, the eternal life and freedom that we experience through our faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul, he summed it up pretty clearly for us in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, and it said this, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, and much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ has given Christians everlasting victory over sin and death. Amen? Amen. But it is also true that Christians will have struggles with sin. They will continue to struggle with sin. And in Romans 7, we see Paul's struggle, and he explains it to us. And thank God we also get to see that Jesus is the answer for those struggles. So let's begin by reading 1 through 6 again. Actually, you know what? We're not going to do that, because we did that last week. But understand that this is Paul's Submation up to this point. And he's basically saying there is only one answer to all the questions that we have, to all the different things that we experience in life as a Christian and as a non Christian. We know that Jesus is the answer. We know that Jesus takes care of all of that past, present, future. It's taken care of. So why do we still struggle? Why do we still struggle? Well, guess what? We're people. We are. We're people. And we're going to fall into those traps. We're going to fall into those times where we don't use the discretion that we should as Christians. So does that make us bad people? No. Not by any means. Should we show grace towards one another? Absolutely. Absolutely. So do we ever struggle with sin in our life? That is a resounding yes. We surely do. Because none of us is perfect. So every Christian struggles with sin 
on some level or somewhat. We all can agree with that. And we also should know that everybody sitting in this room is in good company. It doesn't matter where you stand in this church. You're in good company. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. And we're also in good company because even the greatest Christians who ever lived struggled with sin. Everyday Christians do too. An English pastor, Jeff Thomas, gave the example of a man that he knew. He was a deacon, and his name was Rex. And at the age of 90, Rex died, and he went home to be with the Lord in heaven. Now, Rex kept a little diary. And after walking with the Lord for almost 70 years, he wrote these humble words about himself. He says, I'm more like a devil than a saint. After 70 years of walking with the Lord, he says, I'm more like a devil than I am a saint. Now, have you ever wondered, maybe this is what Paul was thinking too? I think this is what Paul was thinking. He must have felt like that through the course of his struggles as we read through Romans. This must have been his thought. And quite honestly, it should be our prevailing thought as we go through life. Because we know that we're never going to be perfect. He's more like a sinner than a saint. We are. We are that way. But we still strive to be like our Father. We still strive to be like our Savior. And that's the point Paul is trying to make. We know that here in verse 19, Paul said, The good that I will do, or the good that I will to do, I do not do. In other words, the good things I know that I should do, I don't do them. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. How many of you can agree with that? You know you shouldn't do this, but somehow we kind of lean in that direction, don't we? We do, we all do. But the good thing is, in verse 21, it goes, I, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is Jesus. Jesus. Now, some Bible scholars think Paul was talking about the days before he got saved. And others assume Paul was talking about his early days as a believer. But as we'll get down the road in Romans chapter 15, it explains and shows us that this letter was written near the end of Paul's third missionary journey. So in reference to that, you know this was the end of his third missionary journey. And that was many years after Paul had been saved. And if Paul had been talking about the past, common sense would tell us that he would have written, O wretched man that I was, but instead he said, O wretched man that I am. He already knows it. And, mean, and saying that I am means he's probably going to continue to struggle with that sin. Speaking to Christians in uh, the first, first John uh, 
chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. The Apostle John also used the present tense there and wrote, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The Apostle John never claimed to be perfect, and neither did Paul, and neither do we. We may act like it sometimes, but neither are we. In Matthew 5, 48, Jesus told his followers to be perfect, just as our Father in heaven is perfect. And real salvation, notice that, real salvation will always change the way we live, will always change the way we live. But we are all a work in progress. And Paul never claimed to be perfect. So if God calls us in Matthew chapter 5 to be perfect, and none of us are, what does that tell you? This is a journey. This is a process. This is a, we're going to try to get here, but we're probably going to get here. We're never going to make it because we know we can never make it without the love and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, again, is the answer. And about four years after he wrote this letter, Paul was a prisoner in Rome. And there he wrote a letter to the Christians in Philippi. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul indicated that he still wanted to get to know Jesus better. Don't we all want to get to know Jesus better? But see, then you go on to verse 12, and Paul said that he wasn't already perfect. He's already acknowledging that even though this is a man devoted to God, and for the most part, when he was saved, he lived a life that was pretty close to sinless. But he wasn't sinless. He was not perfect. And he acknowledged that. I think some of us get in the trap of thinking that we're doing okay. But we're not. And so it brings us further and further away from God's will and what he has for us. So we need to recognize that in our life. Is that we are sinners. And the only way to fix that is through Jesus Christ. Real salvation always changes the way we live. But we will never be perfect in this world. That must be why the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write about his personal struggle with sin, something that you and I can relate to. And thank God we also get to see that Jesus is the answer for those, for those struggles. And first this morning, I want you to see that God wants us to see the crucial death of our Lord, the crucial death of our Lord. The death of our Savior Jesus Christ is our only hope for living free and fruitful lives. Like I said in verses 1 through 6, Paul talked about the necessity of Christ's death. And the apostle began by stressing the dominion that God's law had over us. We talked about, I know it was a little confusing last week about Mr. Law. But that's what he's talking about here, that he was stressing that the dominion of God's law and how that power was over us. And verses 1 through 3 say this, or do you not know, brethren, for I speak of those who know the law, 
that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Now, talked a little bit last week about the word dominion, but the original word for dominion in verse 1 comes from the same word translated as Lord, as Lord. And without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are under the authority, power, or lordship of the law. Verse 5 shows us one of the reasons why this is a huge problem for us. And it was a huge problem for Paul. For when we were in the flesh, the passions of sins, which were aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. In other words, our sin will always lead us to destruction. And Paul recognized that too. While Paul knew that he wasn't perfect, he was still trying to live that sinless, blameless life, much as Christ displayed when he was here on earth. And he's encouraging us to do the same, but also encouraging us to the point that he knows, along with him, we're going to be sinners. We're going to struggle in that journey. We're going to struggle to get to point A to point B. When we allow Christ to come in and lead and to take over our lives and to fully turn over to that salvation that he has given us, then and only then can we even achieve close to what God has called us to do. The New Living Translation says, When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced sinful deeds resulting in and death. So it's a little bit more clear there. But what happens is that God's law has an unfortunate effect on our lost sinful nature. The law actually stirs up our selfish sinful passions and all those kinds of evil desire. It kind of stirs it up within us. And it's kind of like seeing a sign that says, don't think about elephants. What are you guys thinking about? Elephants, right? That's the first thing you're going to think about. If you see a sign that says, do not do this, what are you thinking about doing? You're thinking about doing, don't sit on this wet, wet bench, right? With the paint, you want to sit down. Even though you know you're going to get paint on yourself. But that's the point here. Brett Blair gave another example about a museum. And they had a big problem because people with dirty hands were touching priceless pieces of art and all these different things, and they couldn't figure out a way to stop people from touching these things. And so they put up do not touch signs, but as you can guess, that only seemed to make the problem worse. Then one day, a museum employee came up with an idea that took care of the problem overnight. They simply replaced all the do not touch signs with signs that said, caution, wash hands after touching. <laughs> but understand this. Unfortunately, a simple change like that could have never solved our problem with the law. It could not solve our problem with the law. There was only one possible solution. 
Somebody had to die. Somebody had to die. And that's what God's word is telling us in verses 1 through 3. Somebody had to die to liberate us from the law. And the only person who could ever do that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus took that penalty and punishment for all of our sins when he died on that cross. Now, our risen Savior shares his death and resurrection with everyone who will put their trust in him. And this is God's message for us in verses 4 through 6, where Paul says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the passions of sins which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ sets us free. Amen. Sets us free. When we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are born again and we are free to serve God and transform this mess into something that can be used for his kingdom. Period. But this wonderful transformation could only come through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about the necessity of Christ's death several weeks ago. But that was the necessity of his death, so that we could be in communion with him. But also know this, God also wants us to see Paul's defense of God's law. He wants to see the defense of God's law. And Paul made this defense in verses 7 through 13. And Paul defended God's law because he wanted us to understand that the problem was never with God's law. It was never a problem with God's law. It was always with our sin. That's where our struggle is. God's law is always good. God's law is always good. In fact, God's law is perfect. God's law is perfect. And on top of that, verse 7 reminds us that the law is our teacher. It is our teacher. God's law teaches us how desperately we need the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul defended God's law. Paul asked, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. God's law is perfect. And even so, God's law could never save us. God's law could never save us because we could never keep it in our own strength. We could never do this on our own. But the good news is that God's perfect law can teach us one important thing. And that is, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. In verse 8, we need Jesus because our sin brings on all kinds of evil desires. Here Paul says, But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me an all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. And next we read in verses 9 and 10, 
We need Jesus because we know that our sin is deadly. Our sin is deadly. Here Paul says, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. And then we go on to verse 11, and he says we need Jesus because our sin deceives us. Our sin deceives us. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. And then we also need Jesus because sin takes advantage of God's good law to kill me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. As a church, we are tempted to blame God for our sin problem. We like to blame God sometimes for our sin problem. And we know that's wrong. We know the answer to that. But that's in our human nature, right? We don't like to take responsibility for the bad things in our lives. We like someone else to take the brunt of that responsibility. But God is saying here that we're going to face difficulties in our life. We're going to face difficulties in our life. But through those difficulties, we can do the right thing. We can do the right thing. Think back to the night before the cross. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus agonized over the weight of what was to happen. The weight of our sin on his shoulders. But as always, the Lord's heart was also on the well-being of his followers. So while he still struggled with that, he still was doing the right thing. He was still caring for others, even though that burden was so much to bear. Jesus still had the presence of mind to care about you, to care about me, to care about his followers. Matthew 26, 41, Jesus said to them, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh as weak. All Christians will face difficulties in doing the right thing. That's why in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul gives the warning to us. He says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In verses 14 through 23 in chapter 7, Paul tells us about his own struggle with sin. This is where it becomes a little more relatable to us. Because I think even then Paul knew that his death was certain. And we know that our death is certain. But what we do with our life while we're here is our testament to what the Lord can do in your life. And that's what Paul is telling us here. He's going to struggle with sin. And he knew that going into this. God told him, Paul, I'm going to send you out into the missionary field, but you're going to fail miserably. But he took on that responsibility anyways because he loved the Lord. And he knew what he was doing was the right thing. And so he did that. But he faced difficulties. We know that. It says that there. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. 
For what I am doing, I do not understand. Do we understand everything that the Lord tells us to do? No. So we're, we're in good company again. For what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, and that is my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. In other words, I cannot do this on my own. You cannot do it on your own. He is calling out to God, saying, God, I know you have commissioned me to do a specific purpose, but I cannot do this without you. I need your help. How many of us are willing to say, I need help? Some days, right? We need help. And then verse 19, For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Boy, that's us in a nutshell, isn't it? Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who does it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Wouldn't it be fantastic if after we receive Jesus we never sinned again wouldn't it be fantastic if we never had to struggle with sin again but you see our own experience and the word of God both affirm that we will struggle with sin and we will continue to struggle with sin as long as temptation is out there we will struggle with sin Now, this doesn't mean that we have to give in to that sin. We don't give in to that sin. Or that we will ever give victory to our temptations. That's what Paul's saying. Even though that temptation's there, you don't have to go through with it. But it can't be on our own. It can't be through our own will and desire. Because we will fail every single time. But thank God, Christians, we are not what we used to be. Do we understand that? We are not what we used to be. If we are truly saved by God, we are not who we used to be. We need to rely upon that. We are not who we used to be, but we still have to struggle against sin. And our failures will be painful. They will be painful. Known sin will always be painful for true Christians. And we can see Paul's pain in this scripture this morning. We can see his pain. We can see his struggle. He's crying out to God, I cannot do this by myself. I need you. But listen to chapter, or verse 15 again from the New Living Translation. He says, there Paul said, I don't understand myself at all. He doesn't know why he's doing what he's doing. He just knows that he's called by the Holy Spirit and he's continuing to do the job that he's been commissioned to do. But he's saying out loud, I don't know what I'm doing. Do any of us know what we're doing? I don't think so. 
He says, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the, I do the very thing that I hate. I do the very thing that I hate. And then in 18, I know I am rotten through and through and so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. He, he's basically knocking himself down to the ground. He's saying, I am not worthy. He's saying, I'm not worthy of this journey, but God so called me through this journey so that I could achieve not my will, but his. And in verses 20 through 24, I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. And this law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable, per- miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? We know people who are dominated by by sin. And it's so easy nowadays. In fact, it's gotten so bad that people don't even recognize when they're sinning. In fact, it's glorified. We talked about this a few chapters earlier, that we don't sin more so that we can receive more grace. That's not how this works. God is saying you live a perfect life, but we all know that we cannot ever attain that but we press forward anyway. We still are led by the Holy Spirit. We are still led by the Lord's commands. But also know that we are free from that sin. God has already taken care of that. He sent his son to die on that cross. And so we are not not to bear that anymore, but we do bear it because we still have that human nature in us. So it's that constant struggle of Do I do what's right or do I do what's comfortable? Do I do what's right or do I do what makes me happy? We live in the drive-through age where we want everything right now, right now, right now. But God says, be slow. Take it slow. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And it's a marathon... We don't finish until we get to see him face to face. And so we press on. And we realize that we're sinners. We are not to judge one another because we're all in the same boat. It doesn't matter what we've done, what we will do. We are people. We are God's people. And he loves us anyway. Hebrews 12, 1 through 11 explains this most clearly and says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded By so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Endurance. It's not a sprint. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. In other words, our job is not done. Our job is not done. 
And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord, from whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son from whom he receives. In other words, being a Christian is painful. It is. We are called to do things that stretch us out of our comfort zone. But God says, I am right there with you. I will be with you. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. In other words, like I've said before, if you think Christianity is easy, you're not doing it correctly. You're not doing it correctly. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us and seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God breaks down man so that he can use them. Famous quote by A.W. Tozer. God cannot use us until he breaks us down. So if you're a Christian and you are saved and you are going through difficult situations, consider yourself blessed because God is using you. God is finding a way to use you in a way that you probably could never understand. But he's right there with you. You're not doing this alone. He's right there with you. Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So who shall deliver me from this body of death? The answer is our crucified Lord, Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can deliver us. Jesus is the only one who died to deliver you. And all Christians can echo these words in Psalm 18, verses 1 and 2. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Paul miraculously went from, O wretched man that I am, to... I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He went from the deepest despair to the greatest of gratitude. He went from despair to gratitude. And all the deliverance and all the blessings and all the help that came through Jesus Christ. And sometimes, Christians, when we have to struggle against sin... We will always have the answer to Paul's question here. O wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death. The eternal answer in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are called to be thankful in all situations. Thankful for the struggle that you will go through. 
But more importantly, you're thankful for God who has already forgiven you for that. And he will be right there at your side as you go through that struggle. That's why we can close with a great gratitude this morning. Because we have Jesus. We have Jesus. We have everything we need. Amen? David, come and lead us in our benediction this morning. I want to update you, Norma Stevenson, praise God. She is at Anbury and Merced, room 309. She's rehabilitating very well. Talked to her yesterday. Possibility going home this Friday. Amen. And we're very, very grateful. So room 309, Merced, Anbury, if you feel inclined to go visit or contact her, she'd love to hear from you. And uh, miss seeing her here. So anyway, if you'd pray for her, pray for the Carter family, for God's comfort and peace as well. And this morning as we go, if you've ever wondered, I wonder if there's still room, still room for me with God. There's room at the cross for you. Let's stand together as we sing this as we close this evening. The cross upon which Jesus died Is a shelter in which we can hide And it's grace so free Is sufficient for me And deep is its fountain as wide as the sea there's room at the cross for you there's room at the cross for you get this though millions have come there's still room for one yes there's room Just a reminder, after we close in prayer this morning, we'll have an Awana meeting, business conference room. I will only take a couple minutes of your time. We just want to go over details before we begin September 11th, so appreciate that. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time here today. I pray as we leave these doors that we open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to the opportunities that you will place before us. Lord, I pray as we go into this coming week, should you tarry another day, I pray that we live our lives for you, knowing that we're not perfect. But Lord, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have made us righteous. And so Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, we are cognizant of that. And we are cognizant of the love that you have for us. And so we display that to those around us. So that one day when we meet you face to face, we will hear those words, Well done good and faithful servant. Thank you again for our time here today. Bless those who could not be here with us. And also bless us, Lord, as we arrive at our final destination today. Thank you for our time together. And it's in your name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on Him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to Him. 
If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.